installment of our new books in the arts and sciences panel podcast. This panel discussion series celebrates new books by Columbia faculty members, where the authors are joined by colleagues both within and without the university to discuss their newly published works. This podcast focuses on assistant professor of history Manan Ahmed's book, A Book of Conquest, The Chechnama and Muslim Origins in South Asia. I'll be speaking with George Sansom Professor of History Carol Gluck about Manan's book in just a moment, but first I'd like to bring you Manan Ahmed's reading of his work at the panel. So um, I was asked to read something, and I I will just shortly from the book. Um, I began to organize this book with the frame within which the study of Muslim pasts in India is undertaken, a frame that explores first the question of spatial otherness and then political, linguistic, and social otherness. This particular framework came into being in the 19th century via the colonial British inquiry into understanding Indian past as a history of prior failed Muslim polities. The most well-known and demonstrative figure of this historiography is Henry Mayers Eliot, whose The History of India as Told by Its Own Historians collapsed the history of Islam and the history of Muslim polities within the same frame. Eliot relied on translated excerpts from Chachnami, a key, as key evidence for the violence and depravity in the very origins of Muslim political history in India. I approached the construction of this narrative by arguing that the text at the heart of the Chachname is misread, mischaracterized, and misplaced. It is misread as a translation of an earlier Arabic text. In fact, it is an original Persian text. It is mischaracterized as a conquest narrative. In reality, it is the work of political theory. It is misplaced as a source of Muslim origins Indeed, it represents a politically heterogeneous world of 13th century sin. I aim to give a genealogical reading of Chachnama that provides a, quote, history of morals, ideals, and metaphysical concepts as they stand for emergence of different interpretation as events on the stage of historical process. This book, then, reads the entirety of Chachnama to reconstruct its historical identity and to locate how it made, quote, contributions to particular discourses and thereby recognize the ways in which it followed or challenged or subverted the conventional terms of those discourses themselves. Just a couple more quick things. Um, <clears throat> this is the beginning of my third chapter, and it, I'm just sort of reading it just to give you a sense of some of the method that I use. Uh, the chapter is called Dear Son, What is the Matter with You? The morning chai routine involves listening to petitions. Outside the local court building, petitioners lined up early enough to get the ears of one of the scribes. These officers of the court were responsible for selling the official court stationery on which legal writs were required to be filed. They also wrote in longhand the petition. The annotations distinguished the quote story from the quote facts of the case. I had begun my day at the courtyard listening to Murad Sahib, who was widely known as a historian of Uch. I'd come to him to gather information about the local families who had textual sources and their archives. My query was open-ended, and Murad Sahib had no concrete information for me. The families of which, he explained, do not traffic in manuscripts. I sat quietly listening to him as he began to tell the story of Uch. Uch was Iskandriya. When Iskandar, um, Alexander, 
um, began to look for Abe Hayat, water of life. He began from here and was lost in the desert of Cholistan. He was looking for Khizr, the immortal prophet, at, con at the confluences of the rivers, and it was here that he founded the city with his soldiers. I said something about similar stories of Greek bloodlines in the northwest regions of Kafristan, but Murad Sahib gave no indication of having heard me. After a short while, he returned to his work, and I sat quietly observing. He received many visitors early in the morning, men going about their business, who stopped to ask about his well-being and to give him news of theirs. These meetings, often no more than a handshake and a quick exchange, were conducted in Seraiki, in Punjabi, or in Brohi. The status offered to Murad Sahib as a historian of the community was clear in each encounter, and I witnessed that morning. Many of the visitors engaged in long conversations about inheritances, works, marriages, and businesses, asking Murad Sahib to correct their account or to give an account for their understanding. Near the end of our conversation, Murad Sahib described how he knew the stories and lessons of Chachname from oral accounts and excerpted translations republished in cheap editions. When he was visiting the district court in Hyderabad, he had visited the Bambor archaeological site and thought about the distant history of this land. Quote, Chachnama is a wise book of this very soil, he exclaimed, with lessons for all of us. I began to understand through this conversation that Chachnama was a living text in Uch, with residences and daily social life. This dimension of the history of the medieval text had not been apparent to me earlier. Our business concluded, I walked away from the courtyard thinking about the question of, quote, lessons. What lessons are embedded in this text from the soil? What precisely is the rubric for advice, advice in Chachna? And just finally, just very quickly. It's page 182, if anyone is following around. <laughs> the method of this book included my extensive walks in Uch. Those walks and the material landscape shaped my question and guided me to think differently. The realities of post-partition South Asia in which the historic region of Sindh is split between India and Pakistan have made it impossible to see the whole space that is described in the text which I study. I could not, without friction, imagine the full networks of mobility that my medieval texts move through. Instead of ignoring this political present, I declared its limitations to be my limitations. I, if I could walk from Multan across the Cholistan Desert to Kambat, I would know better the history I have sought to bring to light here. Thank you. I'd like now to welcome Carol Gluck, who will talk with me today about Manan's work and its implications for the ways scholarship and history can be done, and how his book can help us understand the construction of identities and nationhoods. Carol, thank you for being here with me today. It's a pleasure. Manan's work argues against origins, which you called perilous beginnings during the panel, and in doing so, defies the way that history works. Could you speak more about the idea of these perilous beginnings and how they work against history? What type of history do they work against, and how do they redefine or reshape histories? The, the politics of the past with which Madan is engaged, and in which he believes that historians have an obligation and an opportunity to intervene in the abuses and misuses of history, uh, relates to, in a word, the canonical narrative that says that the Muslims conquered Sindh in 712, and this was an Arab conquest. Uh, in subsequent centuries, depending on who the ruler was, 
whether they were Mughals or whether they were British colonial rulers or they were Pakistani uh, uh, or they were uh, anti-colonial South Asians or they were Pakistani nationalists or they were Bangladeshis, that story has accreted this kind of uh, um, interpretive carapace. It's almost like a shell, right? But the shell is different. So the British colonial, he takes you through this in this chapter about the afterlives of the text. And the British colonials, their, their position uh, was that uh, uh, the, the, the Arabs had arrived and, and despoiled the golden age of Hindu rule. Uh, uh, so they were, the, they were, as a result, the British were the saviors, I mean, the, the, of, of, of the Hindu past that the Arabs had destroyed. Um, and so they made the, the Muslim rule into a dark age uh, for their own purposes. And then after the, during the later decades or, of the British colonial rule, the, the South Asian nationalists... Uh, who were the Muslim nationalists who were against British colonialism, they rehabilitated the man who conquered Sindh in 712 um, as the advent of the beginning of their history. But now it was the beginning of a positive history, not a negative history. And so uh, um, uh, Muhammad bin Qasim, who is the figure, now becomes a good ruler. But in their work, they, um, obviously the advent of Islam, the Islam, they had to leave a lot out to make that story tell. So each story is simple, black and white, and leaves everything else out, so to speak. And then with partition in 1947, with the uh, um, uh, Pakistan on the one side and, and India on the other, and this area split in the middle, um, the the Pakistan national story co-opts Muhammad bin Qasim. He says, this is out the founder of our nation. In 712, we started being Muslim. But, of course, leaves out the Mughal rule because Mughal rule lay outside the boundaries of Pakistan in what, is, what was then India. So, again, leaving out and just making a straight line uh, and, and this is what national, new nations do. They write national history. Uh, the uh, and they took only the Muslim parts of the past, right? So the fact that Hindus and Muslims and uh, uh, and and Sikhs lived together in this uh, in this couple centuries of Muslim rule that that this text is telling the ruler how to deal with pluralism that's not there. Uh, the um, and so and then again with Bangladesh, which which has is not going to it's not going to take it has to change it because of course Bangladesh is not even in Sindh, it's in. Uh, East Bengal, it's thousands of kilometers away. So, each of these, each of these political, ideological, religious, and moral um, uh, regimes, if you like, has taken the story to its own linear, black and white uh, heritage. And the even. Manan's point is that this is a violation of the text. It's a violation of. I mean, it's 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 not it's not historical. It's ideological and it's political. Moreover, because religion is so central to this, it's also led 
to a lot to what the kind of religious violence where Hindus against Muslims against against Sikhs of that sort of thing. So when he talks about violence, he's actually thinking not only of past and there was plenty of violence in the past of this sort, but also he's thinking of post-partition South Asia and the violence between the between the religions, the the, the communal violence, the fact that the, the the communal the communities were separated as see the most of these latter transcreations of this you know uh, text separated the communities. They didn't have the pluralism that, 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 that the author of the text had in, in the 13th century. So this communal religious um, violence and the violence of partition itself, the violence of partition, the, just the, the partition line, is, is nowhere far from Manan's thinking. Right? And so by, by unreading this text and re- reframing it and relocating, he shows that it wasn't always like this. This is not what the text was saying at the beginning, and I th- suppose he must also hope that this must not be, that this need not be like this again. But partition is a wound, and when when Manan says, "I walked, I walked the terrain that I that 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 the this author was writing about in the 13th century," he also says, "I couldn't walk all of it, because the line between India and Pakistan runs between runs right through it. I could only walk the parts." that were in Pakistan. So he was in Uch and he was in Lahore, which is a way of saying, I can't even retrace the past because of the wound and the violence that's been done in the 20th century and continues to be done in the 21st with the separation of religious communal uh, um, boundaries. So I think that's the, the, the politics of uh, the ideology of of the uses of the past, usually, usually by nationalistic national histories or national states, but also by religious confessions, they can do it too. In other, in other words, anybody can can make boundaries between the, the the self and the other, the inside and the outside. And outsiders are very important in this book because the tale of the the tale of conquest is Muhammad bin Qasim comes from. The Middle, what we now call the Middle East, from Arabia, as an outsider and conquers Sindh. So, one of the contextualizations that Manan provides is to show that there were already lots of Arab uh, interactions. There were Arabs already in Sindh. There were merchants. There were there's a lot of maritime connections from the the Indian Ocean trade, but there were also land connections between the the um, this sort of small principalities, these little kingdoms in what is now Afghanistan and in, and in, what, in what was then Sindh. And so this man was not really an outsider who came in and uh, uh, ravaged a Hindu population. There were Arabs already living there. And this is another argument that Manan makes about, about writing against beginnings, not just against endings. He's writing against origin stories. He said, this is a book against origin tales. The origin of the Arab co- of the of, of Muslims in India is the Arab conquest on one day in 712 or one you know one time in 712. No, he says that's not how that's not how it worked. There were Arabs and they were and then they found Arabs when 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 Muhammad bin Qasim got there. There were Arabs there and they were living with Hindus and Sikhs and and he had to deal with all these when he became the ruler. And this book is telling him how to do that, um, and it's in a fairly pluralistic way about how to handle the different. So. Arguing against origins is, by my understanding, 
as important as arguing against endings because, because we historians are always told that we must resist the teleological urge. You know, we know how history turned out. So you don't write to the end of history as if it were determined and inevitable that this would happen. Well, he's arguing that origins are just as dangerous because if you start writing from a beginning, one period of time in 712, you are missing all the things, not only that happened before it, but that were still happening and that characterized the Muslim rule of Sindh over the next couple of centuries. So origins are as dangerous as endings is a very important principle of this book, and I think a very important principle for historians. It's, of course, really important if you want to deal with, with the politics of the past, because nearly all these national histories, like that of Pakistan, point to an origin. Now, Pakistan, Pakistani national history likes to go back all the way to the Indus Valley civilization, which just happened by the partition to be on their side of the line, so they grabbed it for Pakistan. There's a problem with all these nations seeking origins, right? Uh, these are all uh, ideolog ideologies and generally manipulations of history uh, to make a straight line, to make a linear narrative, and also to pinpoint a beginning. And most of these beginnings, because that's the way history operates, are much more inchoate than that. Things don't happen on one day or one, you know, even in, even one year, one whatever. So. That this is also, I think, a, a a a a book that shows us how the past gets used and abused by these in these national histories, uh, and how it creates the the actually the contention and the hostility and the violence even today. I mean, this is not a common origin story. This is our origin story, right? And it was the Brit when the British did it, it was the way they told it, which was to make them the savior, etc. So the other part of this book really is a, um, a, uh, a, an argument against origins and endings, but the origins part is related to the national history uh, stories of their own past. And when you read this book, you think, this is mad. It's mad that in 1947... The Pakistani, the Pakistan national the textbooks and national celebrations. He talks about the celebration days and all that. We go back to 712. You know, I, it's like this, like the Serbs going back to 1389, during the the war in the former Yugoslavia, right? Everything started at the Battle of Kosovo, right? So um, it's a historian's task, according to Manan, and I fully agree with him, to to unread a text like this to reframe it but also to, to, to follow its afterlives to see the the way it was evoked, invoked uh, used, misused in contemporary times and this is one of those texts that has been repeatedly reinterpreted according to the powers of the, the political powers of the day. The the idea of drawing a straight line not only geographically across a landmass, but also through history and just cutting out the bits of it that don't fall on your side Most of the line. Most national histories leave, they have to leave a lot out. Mm -hmm. uh, national histories, they need, a, they need this origin. I mean, they, or they need more than one origin. I mean, in France, the French Revolution becomes another origin. They have Clovis back in. You know, but in, but they in the ancient times. But people, 
nations pick different origins, and then they leave a lot out. The United States, how long did they leave slavery out of the story, right? Uh, and this is true of all national histories, because national histories are, are ideologies, and they're politically based. Uh, there's history wars going on all over the world that are based on this. Turkey's is another place where national history is a, is a, is a, a vexed issue under the, a particular political regime. Hungary is another one. Japan is another one. China is another one. India, Modi, is another one. Uh, Putin is another one. This, th these, are, these are political regimes that are actually invoking history and leaving out what they want to leave out, invoking a certain line of history. Uh, and for the sake of political uh, legitimacy, national unity, they will call it, or patriotism, uh, but it's the same kind of abuse. So this is the this just happens to be the this particular uh, let's call it the uh, Pakistani, if you want, uh, in contemporary days. Uh, but this is something that happens everywhere. This, the, the linear narrative, the origin, the and the leaving out the un well leaving out most, <laughs> not just the unpleasant, but a lot of the history. These are very simple stories that nations tell themselves. And when you have periods of intense nationalism or, or surging nationalisms, as you have now again, and you have had the last 20 years or so, uh, history is deployed and employed in the service of power. Yes. Um, thank you. And you spoke about the way that Manon does this in his book, starting on the micro and moving to the macro. And I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about that. Well... If you want to deconstruct a major, a major grand narrative, or several grand narratives hooked onto this text, that's a, a that's really making a, an intervention in the macro view of history. You don't start there. He starts on the micro level, on the philological level, on the ethnographic level, on the archaeological level. On the street, he's, I hate to use the term because it's a cliche, but he is really on the ground, okay? <laughs> he's walking the streets. Um, and you, you work up from this, this almost pointillist or philological and ethnographic picture, you build a picture, and that's the way you intervene or burst the macro narrative. If you start on their level and contest it, it's another polemic. This is not a polemical book, but it's a book that through this layered, textured inquiry does burst the bubble of the macro grand narrative, the, the, the book of the, of, of the Arab conquest of Sindh in 712. Um, the, and, and so it is, a, I think, very useful for historians to realize if you really have a, the more polemical and the more ideological or political this 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 story that you are countering as too simple and too linear the more grounded you need to be because you'll never meet them on their terrain you I mean the british have it colonial rulers have it one way the pakistani um, anti-colonial nationalists have it another way that you know etc the pakistani government today has it a third way you don't go there you could just undermine through this kind of, of um, uh, 
specificity of attention and layers, because every chapter changes viewpoint. So he takes a different layer off, if you like, or, or explores a different layer. And then when you get to the end of the book, the myth has been, to use your language earlier, deconstructed. It has been, and it hasn't been unmade or remade. It's just been uh, exploded. It's it's hard to, it's reading this book, it's hard, it's hard to see it as, he, see those interpretations as anything other than what they were which were instrumental uses of the past for the sake of political power. But he didn't do it starting at that level. Never could have done it that way. Those interpretations, there's, there's, no, there's nothing to counter those interpretations. They're all working off the same linear narrative, only they just say it was different. It was a good thing, it was a bad thing. That's not good history. <laughs> yes, you said that Manon does good history, and you have to counter bad history with good history, which I found... A really lovely, like a really. I think great you counter bad history with good history, and I would say something else that relates to Manon's work, mm -hmm. also to mine, that you count, you counter. There is such a thing as good memory and bad history. A lot of this book is about memory. It's about that's this this archive of cultural memory that he explores when he talks to people. Um, sometimes the memory's for a good cause. Not for. For violence, but for, but the history is bad, and when the history is bad, that actually has a deleterious effect on the memory. So I would like to counter. I think he counters bad history with good history, but I also think he has another counter, which is you counter bad history. You have you you, you counter good memory, bad history with good memory, good history. And the reason I put the memory in there is because this is also a story of memory. It's a story of local memory. It's a story of people, you know, of, of uh, this, is, this is localized to some extent, as well as a larger, you know, Muslim community or whatever. So it is good history, good, good, good uh, counters bad history, and I think good history joined with good memory is another uh, a salutary effect of this kind of work. And that's the only thing a historian can do, is counter the bad history with good history, right? And that's what he's done. And he's done it. This is a 13th century text about an 8th century event and rule, because there's two rulers in, in this, right? There's, it goes before the 8th century, because Chak actually is before that. There's a Hindu ruler, and then it's conquest, con conquered by Muhammad bin Qasim. He goes away. And look what he's done. He's, he, with this book, he not only has exploded a long-standing series of myths, but he speaks to today. That's pretty terrific. I agree. I um, I found this book incredibly compelling, as I yeah. see that you did. Yeah, yeah. I just you know, and you know, and, and it's it, 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 I do think the specificity of it is what is so good. You can actually see, you can feel the demon with ruby eyes. You can see that half smile. I mean, he has a way of pulling out these. Those are both visual details or physical details, if you like. Material details. I mean, actually, the dubi, the, the devil, the demon with ruby eyes. I mean, the stories go about what happens, what he actually does. But the the specificity of how you are presented with it. I mean, not not the spells or the you know the magic. Um, it, it's it's um, it's just a, a, an amazing 
work of history and shows how you can relate, you can, you can uh, recount the past and relate the past to the present without being either teleological or superficially present-minded. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I love the book. Me too. (laughs) Thanks for joining me today to talk about Manan Ahmed's new book, A Book of Conquest, The Chachnama and Muslim Origins in South Asia. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Columbia University's Dean of Humanities and School of Arts and Sciences, in addition to the Heyman Center for the Humanities and the Society of Fellows. I hope you'll join us next time when we discuss Paul Andrew's new book, Kurosawa's Rashomon, A Vanished City, A Lost Brother, and the Voice Inside His Iconic Films. From Columbia University's Heyman Center for the Humanities, I'm Anne Levitsky.